Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Bomer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces the magic of being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater, some people feel about sports or magic or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you that night, and then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker, and experience the magic that is live performance? Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports. No more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with goldstar.com. Goldstar is in 26 cities around the country with over 8 million members already signed up to find out what event is going on near you. So go to goldstar.com. Get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind. Expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Tell them Alana sent you. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Alana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, she was the youngest cast member in the revolutionary, extraordinary musical Spring Awakening. She was just a high school student at the time. She has not stopped working since. Welcome the magnificent Lily Cooper to the podcast. A-OK. everyone. My guest today is the actress Lily Cooper. Her Broadway credits include Julie, the role played by Jessica Lange in the film, but this is the musical version of Tootsie. She was also in SpongeBob SquarePants, Wicked, and Spring Awakening. Some of her other favorite theater credits include Sundown, Yellow Moon, Tick, Tick, Boom, and Three Penny Opera at the Atlantic Theater Company. On television, Lily can be seen on Instinct, The Good Fight, Bull, and Elementary. And on film, Steven Spielberg's The Post. She's the creator and star of the web series It's Not Okay, Cupid. She is a native New Yorker. She went to the Fame High School, LaGuardia. She is a Vassar College graduate. And I am so thrilled to welcome the magnificent talent that is Lily Cooper, to the podcast. Hi. This is amazing. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so happy. You know, a little known fact, what my listeners might know, or maybe they do, because everyone knows everything now because of yeah, the interwebs. Totally. The reason I know Lily Cooper 
uh, aside from being a huge fan of her work, of course, is that we share uh, a friend in common. Mm-hmm. The, the remarkable George Salazar yes. invited me to come see a play with him. And then I got there to find out that he had inv- invited another woman yeah. to go to the play, too. And I was like, oh, it's a thruple. <laughs> and the other guest at this play was Lily Cooper. And I immediately saw why George thought this would be a perfect date night because yeah. we laughed and had fun we right did. away. It was a fabulous night. A fabulous night. And so thank you, George Salazar, not just for being wickedly talented, but for bringing Lily Cooper into my life. So what is kind of extraordinary about you, among many things, is that uh, you are someone who grew up in New York in a theatrical family. Right. Um, And not everyone grows up watching it in their own household. It's often something they watch on TV Mm -hmm. or YouTube or going to the theater. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood with your Tony Award-winning father and a very creative family and just sort of set the scene? Yeah. Um, Like, you know, those A&E, like, Life, right. life of the actor sort of thing. Let's exactly. do a deep dive into okay, your let's childhood. Do a deep dive. Except you're the narrator. All right. So, I mean, I was like so fully immersed in theater from when I was born, pretty much. I mean, my dad is an actor. I have two older brothers, and they also went to the same high school that I did, the fame school. And my dad has been in 16 Broadway shows. So I've just always been backstage around actors, you know, seeing musicals on and off Broadway. I was really shy as a kid, so Mm -hmm. I didn't actually perform until I got to junior high. But my parents were not surprised at all once I got into it. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Hell's Kitchen in Midtown Manhattan. So I was literally immersed in it because I I would walk out of my front door and, you know, I'd be in Times Square, basically. Right. So my, I mean, my favorite story of of growing up is when my dad was in The Life, which is the show that he won the Tony Award for, I was seven years old and I went to an elementary school just a block down the street from the theater. And so I would- From his theater. From his theater, yeah. So I would go to his theater after school, you know, and I would do homework and I would take naps like underneath his station and his dressing room. And I would be there in between shows and I would even be there during the show. I was like this small little girl just running around the theater and all of like the crew people and the dressers loved sort of showing me around. So I would help, you know, hand off props on stage or I would sit- The union, don't listen. (laughs) Yeah, don't listen. I'm not part. I'm just. I'm just kidding. I fabricator. (laughs) So and like the and and the life is is a pretty dark tale about prostitutes. Exactly. I was just going to say it wasn't Annie. No, it was not Annie. It was not this. It was not the seven year old you know audience. Right. So there were uh, actresses playing prostitutes, and there were all these like gorgeous you know dancers, and. They would show me, they would teach me like stage combat because there was a lot of stage fighting in the show. And so, pimps and prostitutes. Pimps and prostitutes fighting. So, as a little seven year old, the actresses playing the prostitutes would teach me how to like fake hit my head against the wall and things like that. So, like, that's how deeply that's that's my deep dive into my childhood. And also, coming from a family that didn't shelter you from. Anything, it right. sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. I was exposed to all there is. Yeah. So if this were like a visual experience, could you smash your head into the wall <laughs> and not get hurt? Yeah, pretty much. And, I know how to do it. You're actually an incredible, I mean, you're a beautiful dancer and Thanks. anyone who knows anything understands that your voce is a gift from the gods, and then Thank you've worked you. on it to kind of figure out how to master all that it can do. Yeah. But you are an incredible dancer and mover and, and physical comedian. Like, yeah. all of that, those seeds were planted really early. Yeah, I actually started dancing. I started out dancing before I sang and, and started acting. Mm-hmm. I started dancing when I was five. And I went to the school at Steps, which is on the Upper West Side, and I would be there every single day after school. And during the summer, I would do dance intensives where I would take five, seven classes a day all week long. So I was really, really primarily a dancer when I was growing up. And, you know, because your father was in the theater, you weren't living in Hollywood and he wasn't Mm -hmm. going from TV show to TV show. He really, like, loved the theater and stayed with the theater. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure you got to witness at a very early age, like, the highs and lows of what a career in the arts would mean. Yeah. 
And it I didn't scare you, though. No, and that's sort of part of why my parents were so supportive because they knew exactly. They knew that I knew what I was getting into. They knew the challenges of it. They knew that I witnessed and experienced them as a child. You know, we, my dad didn't constantly have jobs. There were months at a time that he would be on unemployment. And like I would say after his, after he won his Tony Award, he wasn't on Broadway again for I think seven or eight years. Crazy. Ridiculous. So like it's crazy. Like that's sort of how it happens. You can have this immense level of success and then not work for years at a time. So yeah, I really knew what the ups and downs were. So I was really prepared for it. And that's why my parents were like, all right, if she knows what you're getting into, then. Yeah, there are no rose colored glasses. Exactly. Exactly. And was your family the kind of family, like in the movie version of it, there's a piano in your living room and every night like theater folk are over singing around yeah. it showed like was that sort of the vibe or was your home life pretty separate from your his career I would say my home life was pretty separate I mean it's funny a lot of people sort of assume that I think that we would like sing sing together around, yeah. around the fire at night before yeah. we went to bed but um in hell's kitchen yeah exactly my parents got divorced when I was five so I didn't live with I don't ever really remember living with both of them at a time so I always was in two homes and we had a piano at my mom's house house and I played piano as a kid but then I stopped and so music was more in our life because we enjoyed listening to it Mm -hmm. rather than like performing it together so yeah I would say like our home life was actually a little bit separated from from my theatrical was your mom in the arts also yeah she was she was an actress up until she had children pretty much so she had kids and decided that she wanted to focus on having children act like a mom exactly I tell my kids all the time I am acting like your mother right now (laughs) I'm a very good actress but please don't believe any Anything I say, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So did they live near each other when they split up or there? My dad was out in New Jersey. Okay. So it was a bit of a commute. But we would see, we would go out to his place every every weekend or so. Well, you may say that you found it in middle school, but very quickly the Broadway community found you professionally because you started working really young. So how did you go from, I'm kind of shy, in middle school I started to do it. I, I assume you mean in school. Yeah. When did you decide, I'm going to start auditioning professionally? And were your parents like, we're okay with that? Or did they want you to wait till you were out of college? What was that conversation? So this was a very, it was a very unique experience because I had gone from, I went to a very rigorous academic middle school. And I had, I think, in New York City, City, I went to lab school. And Uh, I think. I had this very sort of pivotal moment in middle school that I really think sort of changed the trajectory of my life into performing. I was cyberbullied very intensely in middle school, and I actually transferred middle schools because it was it was so bad I couldn't really be around the other kids that I was surrounded by. So I transferred from lab to PPAS, which is Professional Performing Arts School, and I went there in eighth grade. And that was really the first time that I started performing. I did Godspell there, um, and then I went to LaGuardia, which is where my, my brothers went because that sort of felt like a legacy thing. I knew I always wanted to go to LaGuardia. Were they acting or singing? What were department acting. were they? They were, we were all in the drama department. Okay. Yeah. But there's a musical every year. And so the first year I got to be in the musical, I was in Hair and at Agents. LaGuardia. At LaGuardia, right. Okay. Godspell at PPAS, Hair at LaGuardia. Do you remember what you did for your LaGuardia audition? Um, I think I did. Oh, goodness. What was it? I remember they were, they were like initially going to do Guys and Dolls. So I auditioned for Guys and Dolls. But then they changed the show to hair for some reason. Like, wait a minute. They're like, what? I this, got my Adelaide all set up. <laughs> exactly. It was really weird. <laughs> I can do Adelaide naked. <laughs> I got this. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I ended up playing Dion in hair. Which awesome. was a lot of fun. Yeah, I still have friends from that from that show and from and from that year in high school. So at LaGuardia, they have agents and managers like come to shows, and so this agent handed me a card after one show at Hair, and I was like, okay, I'm not sure about this. Like I was like 14 or 15 at the time. So you're a freshman. I was a freshman. So it's already a big deal that you're cast in the musical as a freshman, right? right? Like, exactly. That's a- that's a big, no small thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. And as like a lead in the musical, I think yeah. that was a pretty big deal. Yeah. And so it, I waited months to call her because it wasn't really something that I was I felt ready to do to want professionally audition. I had never gone on any professional auditions mm-hmm. before. And so I called her, I remember like several months later, and 
she was like, oh, great. I actually have this thing that I've been thinking about you for. And it's this workshop for this new show. I know nothing about it. It's called Spring Awakening. And I went in and it was my very first audition. My mother was with me because I was underage. And I sang, I think, Mama Who Bore Me from the show. And then I remember in the room they were like, will you learn this song, Dark I Know Well? And so I went into another room and I learned it from from Duncan Sheik. And I booked this workshop at like 15 years old. And it was so And it's so Michael surreal. Mayer and Steven Sater and, Mayer, and all Steven the people Sater. that yeah, all ended people, up yeah. doing the thing. Yeah. Tom Hulse and Ira Pittleman were the producers. Sure. Yeah. So it was this workshop and it was so last minute and crazy because it was right before – it was the second – I think it was first semester of sophomore year that it started. Okay. And they were like, oh, yeah, you start rehearsals in like two weeks. And so like, I have a geometry quiz. Yeah. Right. I need what? to go to my English class. <laughs> yes. So I had to tell all of my teachers that, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be coming to school for the next three weeks well, because I'm is, doing this. I mean, as much as this is a school for the arts, what is there – or at least then, what was their attitude about professional work? Yeah, now back – then they were really passionate about getting your education before you started auditioning. Like it was very much a conservatory style school. So they weren't super supportive of people working hmm. outside of school. Yet agents and casting directors are exactly. coming. Exactly. That's I a know. very confusing it message. It is. It's a confusing message for sure. And of course, all of our acting teachers were so supportive and excited, but all of our academic teachers, unfortunately, were not as stoked. Got it. And I had always been a great student of academically. Of course you were. Yes. I was really. like, you know, I was always like typing. A just wanted to get A's across the board, and and if I didn't, I would just like have a temper tantrum at home. So I <laughs> remember getting like a B in one class because of attendance, because I wasn't there for three weeks, even though I had gotten you know tutoring um, during rehearsals. But I was mortified that I got a B right. in this class because I was so focused on my grades. But anyway, so I basically just had to tell all of my teachers, I'm leaving for the next three weeks. I'm going to be doing my schoolwork just at a theater instead of sure. in school. So it was this really crazy, surreal, fast-paced experience. I was just like thrown into this theater adult professional world when I was 15, and I had never done anything like it before. Were you in the comp? I know there's Remy and yeah. Phoebe mm-hmm. and Jonathan and, and so, Gideon. So, and- so the older were were. Leah Michelle and jo- were those guys already 18 at the time? I can't even think. Were- I would say it was probably like half and half at that time of over 18 slash under 18. I was one of four or five kids who were doing tutoring. Okay. And then the rest of us were outside of school, were, you know, had finished high school. Got it. Um, so you were doing tutoring with a bunch of kids mm-hmm. there. Right. Exactly. No one else from LaGuardia. No, no one else from LaGuardia. And actually no one else from from New York City. Mm-hmm. So they were all being homeschooled outside of the rehearsal process as opposed to like going to school every day. Were you the only one that this was your first professional job? No, I think I, I think a few of us it was our first professional job. Okay. It was the majority of our Broadway debuts wow. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't even know yet what was going to happen. Exactly. With it. Although exactly. some nice people were working on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And first it went to the Atlantic Theater, yeah, correct? Yeah, so first it went off Broadway and that was my that was like summer before junior year and then basically halfway through junior year and then during our off-roadway production they're like we're moving to Broadway and it was very fast and you know it was just like we were just on this journey and we didn't even we didn't know where it was going we didn't know that we would get the incredible reaction and response that we got the was it a happy fans. experience oh yeah it was yes. an incredible experience it was i mean it was so so challenging. I think back on it now and can't really wrap my mind around the amount of energy I must have had because I would, you know, going to public school during the day, wake up at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And LaGuardia is a long day. It's, it's a like long eight day. to it's like, four. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah, eight at least to four, probably. Yeah. Three thirty yeah. four. I would squeeze in as much homework as I possibly could before my half hour call, you know, get to the theater and then do more homework after the show. So I just have no idea how I did it. Was there a but, moment where you thought once you saw it was going from the Atlantic to Broadway and that it was going to be around for a while? Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is a, a hit. This is yeah. the description of a hit. It's and and it's such a new kind of work, yeah. and everyone is freaking out. Right? Um, did you think maybe I should not go to regular school anymore? Did you have there that conversation? Was definitely a moment. 
I believe in my senior year of high school where I was considering not dropping out but getting homeschooled Mm -hmm. and just graduating from homeschool because it was so challenging. Stressful. I also had a really frustrating drama teacher who hated me. Who like it was that seems really impossible. strange. It was honestly it was so weird. Like we just butt heads. He made me cry all the time. We would get in like fights in the middle of class, like screaming at each other because he just hated the fact that I wasn't in school all the time. And I think that there was like a level of jealousy, you know, this like older drama teacher who wasn't that successful in his early acting life and, you know, was taking it out on these successful young kids and and he he, he behaved that way with other There were mind trips. young people who were performing outside of school too and yeah. and it, he was cuckoo bananas. So that was not fun. So having this terrible relationship with my drama teacher and just being exhausted all the time. I was like, maybe I should get homeschooled. But I stuck it out. You and persevered. I graduated. Yeah. Were I you did. able to like keep your social life going with your friends at school? And were other classmates, aside from the teacher, who mm-hmm. was really jealous? <laughs> I'm really jealous just hearing your story too. <laughs> were classmates jealous? And how how did you handle knowing that you were doing what every one of those people dream of so deeply? Yeah. How did you navigate that? I think at that point, we were all so young. I Mm -hmm. don't even think that we realized how big it was in the moment. It Mm -hmm. wasn't really until we were outside of it that we realized. Meaning you at LaGuardia or you in Spring Awakening? Me in Spring Awakening. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I was able to balance the two in a way because I. I had just as much passion of wanting to hang out with my friends as I did with wanting to be on Broadway. Yeah. So those were two priorities that I had as a 16, 17-year-old. Like, for example, I took a personal day to, like, go to my prom and to go to my graduation. Sure. And, you know, after a show on a Saturday night, I would still go out and, like, hang out with my friends. So, and all my friends were incredibly supportive. I'm sure. They all came to see the show. They must have been so friggin' proud of you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm friends with the majority of them still, you know, 15 years later. And for your dad, that must have been kind of an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah. It was wild. So there's that ride. Yeah. And you have not gotten off the train very much since. The theater train. No, I mean, I took, I'd say I took a hiatus while I went to school. So how did you decide? You went to Vassar. Yeah. Beautiful campus. Close enough to Manhattan that if Mm -hmm. you needed to get here, were you a theater major? I wasn't. I was a film major. So I studied primarily um, screenwriting. And my favorite part of college was going abroad. I went to Prague for my entire junior year. The most beautiful place. The most beautiful place. It was incredible. Incredible and so beautiful, and it was really cheap, which was awesome as a college kid. How's your check? I can say Dobri Den, and what can I? What else can I say? Which is like good day, and Vaclav Havel. <laughs> He's a playwright Bekarovka and the president. Is a yeah. really yummy Christmas like holiday beverage. My Czech audience is so happy right <laughs> yes, now. Exactly. Wow. So. Why did you study it? So you 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 already had an extraordinary career mm-hmm. in unbelievably magnificent shows before you even went to college. Right. What made you uh, focus on filmmaking for a while? And I'm sure it's still a part of yeah. your. It totally is. Yeah. So I went to Vassar because I knew they had a great drama department, and. That's actually what I sort of intended on majoring in when I first got there. And then I took my first drama class there. And immediately I was like, ooh, I don't want to do this. I definitely don't want to do this. I knew that I didn't want to go to a conservatory because I thought it might be a little bit weird. Like I had like a fan base already when I was 16, 17, which is like strange and and sort of hard to deal with and hard to navigate. You're like the first generation of actor with social media. Like this is a whole new, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was doing shows back Back in the 20s, <laughs> theater mania and Broadway, we weren't making little movies each week yeah. behind the scenes. There mm-hmm. was no Googling and YouTubing of no. us on Broadway. So yours really was the first. Listen, you already talked about the downside. You had mm-hmm. to leave a school yeah. because of cyberbullying. So you, at a very young age, had experienced the beauty yeah. and the horror right. of being so vulnerable. Totally. And YouTube was new. YouTube was a yeah. new thing. We didn't quite have Instagram 
during spring awakening and, and during my first few years of college. Thank but, God. Otherwise, ugh, I would literally, I'm like, I'm her great grandmother. <laughs> no, no, no. We didn't. YouTube was definitely new. Yeah. Um, but yeah, YouTube videos were like a big thing. And, and there were there were people who knew who I was going to school, which was like really weird and sort yes. of awkward to handle because yeah. I was in the same boat as everyone, but at the same time felt like... Uh, this weird sort of semi level of celebrity, which was really uncomfortable to deal with as a freshman newbie in college. Um, like I remember we had this freshman orientation event where they played an episode of where they played Gossip Girl and everybody got into the room of some like main building in our on our campus and everybody was watching this episode of Gossip Girl and on Gossip Girl they were doing a production of Spring Awakening. Right. So like that's so meta. That, it was yeah, so what? meta. It yeah. was like the first few weeks of my college experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like and I had and I didn't really know that that was hap- that that was happening story wise on that show and so I walked into the room and like as this was happening like everybody turned and looked at me and it was just like oh god this is what my life in college is going to be like it's going to be really weird so I, I I think I part of me didn't want to be a drama major because I sort of wanted to venture out of that sure and after this first drama class that I took which was just I found it to be so sort of you were past it. ridiculous yeah yeah I I decided not to perfect yeah <laughs> but when you think about it like for my generation we all walked around with rent in our earbuds right and for your generation it wasn't quite airpods yet but it was I mean spring yeah. awakening became absolutely yeah the it's next version of that for and sure. I still listen to it all the time because mm-hmm. it's fantastic and obviously this recent revival the Deaf West revival brought it to a whole new audience and Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a beautiful thing the gift that keeps on giving Giving in that way it's really surreal to have already had a show that has been revived that I've been a part of I do not feel old enough for that right right well it's also because that show was so special it needed to come back sooner than you know other ones it was so beautiful I loved the revival yeah it was gorgeous well when you finished school, or let me ask you this, while you were at school, did you audition for things or did you make a concerted effort just to be in college and yeah. go to Czechoslovakia? And- it was a little bit of both. I had an agent still um, during college and there were definitely days where I had auditions that I would go down to this, just like take the train down to the city for. I remember actually doing a reading of, um, what was it, of Carrie my freshman year of college and I just like took a week off of school to like go do this reading because there were a lot of great people involved and I wanted to like be in that room you know yeah so I I did sort of balance the two for the first year or so and then I think my sophomore year was like either I completely delve into college or I don't and so that's when I decided like I'm not really gonna audition I'm just gonna be here in school make friends go to class do my thing and then go abroad for an entire year I didn't perform at all so, which was really nice. It was nice to sort of have that break. And did you keep dancing and singing and sort of keeping your instrument yeah. in check the whole yeah. time? I yeah, I was in a dance company in college, and I took voice lessons every week. So, yeah, I stayed immersed in it, and I, you know, I, I flexed my muscles, which was really important. Yeah, I don't want to harp on it. I'm just really obsessed with all the ways in which the internet is really brutal for your generation and all the Mm -hmm. generations forward. And I wonder, do you find yourself now that you have a platform, Mm -hmm. you are a celebrity, uh, and a lot of people do listen to you, is that something that you try to spend time informing people about or talking about, or is it something that you keep private? I think it's, again, a little bit of both. I think that they're having this form of celebrity and having this direct access with fans Mm -hmm. and with total strangers on the internet, I think you have a responsibility, but I also think that there is there's really a level of, of privacy that you have to keep. So how do you negotiate that for yourself? Yeah, it can be a challenge for sure. Because a lot of there's a lot of fans out there who want to who reach out directly and, and want to communicate with you directly. And and there's some who take advantage of that. And if you open that door, sometimes it feels like the door, the, it just the floodgates are open and there's no sort of cutting that barrier off. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to gauge what is appropriate and what isn't. And it's been a total learning curve, especially through SpongeBob. Um, Which our, I want to talk about. Yeah, totally. Our amazing fans. Our fans were so incredible. Like I got the most amazing, beautiful artwork that I filled my dressing room with. But, you know, there's a level of you ha- you have to be able to sort of like separate yourself from the show that you're doing at the time and be like, you know, I also have a personal life and I'm going to 
go home and like turn myself off and save that for you and save that yeah exactly so it's it's navigating it and i'm still learning i don't mm-hmm. know i don't really know if there's an a, an answer well spongebob squarepants yeah. was one of the most unexpected if you think about the title Ugh, that yes. someone even had this like the brain to conceive of such a thing Ugh, and then to Steven go like is brilliant Tina Landau, oh, like we're going to bring in this artist from this other world, truly, and cast it with the most skilled performers who also have like the comedy chops, the physical comedy chops. The I don't know. It also feels like because you can watch so much of the behind the scenes, not just mm-hmm. the glory of the show itself. Yeah, like it seems like a very special ensemble of people. Truly, yeah. Was that your experience of it? One hundred percent. I think one of Tina's true gifts is putting a group of people in a room together that somehow are supposed to be working together. So she somehow intuited through the casting yes, process, like absolutely. this is a family. I'm 100%. I guess I'm just curious. I've never worked with Tina Landau. Mm-hmm. I'm such a fan of her work. And as I said, like her as director was this unexpected choice. Yeah. And then Absolutely, there could have been no other choice. No other it. option, yeah. Um, I know her as a talented director and as a really passionate uh, political activist. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the fact that, you know, she directed that show and so many families are coming to see mm-hmm. it and then the message, you know, yeah. gets gets out in this whole other You're way, right. so just of kindness, right? Mm-hmm. We just all need to be kind. And I want to say that everything I do see of you, when I think about how you have sort of put a message out directly or indirectly, everything you do or everything you choose to share with mm-hmm. your public, mm-hmm. the amount of love, kindness, and goodness that is sort of projected through the persona that you share on social media as a role model. Mm. I feel like whether or not you do a PSA, which is someone did something terrible to me when I was young, don't do it. Or do, if you admire me, Mm -hmm. behave like me in the world. I feel like whether that was a conscious or unconscious decision on your part, everything I got to watch of you as I researched for today made me smile and thankful that you are on the planet. And I do think that that is, just as a sidebar, such a powerful thing you're offering young fans of how you can be. And I'm sure tons of people of color, young Mm -hmm. people of color are looking to you. And that's an added pressure Mm -hmm. and thrill, all of it. But there's a lot on your plate to be the face of something, whether you've asked to be that face or not. Absolutely. And it's it's multi-layered for sure. And it is so deep in me because I was one of those little children of color looking up to people on stage, aspiring. And, you know, I had different experiences with performers, whether they be positive or negative, I'm going to learn from them and know how I want my behavior to affect or to uh, be experienced by younger folk. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so I think uh, sort of unconsciously, and consciously, I do try to put that out into the world because I I want I do want to be looked at as somebody that can be open and approachable and kind um, kind because that's that's what we need in the world and yes. and if we can share that then you know that's the best we can so do. So I know Michael Mayer, who we reference is the director of Spring Awakening, because he directed me in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. So I very yes. much know what it is to work with him, yeah. what it is to hear his laugh in the audience. He never hides that he's in the audience. <laughs> no. Spring Awakening wasn't a big laugh fest, so <laughs> no. you, you knew he was there in other ways. <laughs> right. But I really did feel like he was a very powerful visionary, but very collaborative mm-hmm. at the same time. And in the audition room, if he likes what you're doing, like, you know it. He yeah. didn't hold, like... Oh, and if he so... doesn't like what you're doing, you know it, too. Which exactly. is great. I think it's important. Totally. Like, but but always with um, kindness. I yes. never felt oh, like 100%. he was, you know... But what is it like? How do you audition or prepare mm-hmm. for SpongeBob SquarePants? What is a Tina Landau audition like? Can you just take me through oh, it a little bit? Absolutely. I feel like it's so otherworldly. It is otherworldly. It's a different audition experience than I've ever had before. It felt so safe and creative. And I just felt like I was 
bubbling with ideas and just fun and and your was, mom really is a squirrel so it was yeah, really like yeah, right exactly so perfect. Close to home. <laughs> um it, it was it, it was such a great room to walk into mainly because ethan slater who played spongebob mm-hmm. and i went to college together you're kidding me i know Fasser. so i've known him for Jocelyn so long yeah. yeah i've known him for so long we did a play in college together we did a friend show together i sang some of his music in college like, w- we have known each other forever. And Amazing. so I knew him when he first started doing workshops years and years ago. So you we weren't were involved with this work on a workshop level? Not from the beginning, no, Okay. Yeah. I just joined during the Chicago level of, right. of things. Pre-Broadway. Pre-Broadway. tryout. Yeah. So I found out that Ethan was going to be in the room with me because he was already cast as, as Spongebob. So I had the immense pleasure of playing opposite him in my audition. Incredible. Which you couldn't, you can't think of a more perfect situation because it's somebody that you already feel safe and comfortable with, comfortable playing with and creating. And, and he's rooting for you in rooting, his performance. Yeah, exactly. Like he was, he was comfortable and having fun. You know, it wasn't a total stranger that he was reading with. So I walk in there and... Ethan's there, and Tina is just like, you know, show me everything. Don't be afraid to mess up. Don't so what be did they to give bad. you? Did you improv stuff, or did they give you the material from the play? They and songs gave us and... some sides from the from the show. These are sort of like early early on sides that okay. were from workshops, so they weren't d- directly the scenes from the from the show at the time. Um, and they told us to bring our book. So I was asked to bring something sort of like country up tempo. Um, we couldn't sing songs from the show because they didn't want it to get out really before. These were all songs, you know, written by all of these amazing. Did the sides have your names printed? Yeah, on yeah, 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 like a watermark. You will be killed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So thank you, Woody um, Allen. Yeah, and then in the room, I was asked to just improv a karate dance. I'm like, this what is, is your that? Thing? No, but if anyone <laughs> could do it, come on. Yeah, those prostitutes back from the life. Sure yeah, teach me to do how that. to do all that. <laughs> so I've known that for a while. <laughs> is there a pimp here I can? <laughs> yeah. I can play off. Yeah, of? Ethan. <laughs> yeah, perfect casting. <laughs> Um, I really want to see him play like a really vicious pimp. Well, he was, he was, he just did an episode of Law and Order where he played like a creepy rapist. And it was, he was so good. He Thank was, you, like, God. too good. Thank you for hearing my prayers every time. <laughs> okay, good for you, Ethan. Yes, congratulations. Mm. So happy for you. <laughs> so uh, Tina was basically like, okay, so the pianist is just going to like play some music. So just like do a karate dance. And so... I just was like, okay. It was one of those things where you could clam up and you could close off and be like, oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to feel so uncomfortable. Or you could just be like, I'm going to make a total fool of myself because I feel like that's exactly what they want to see. And I'm going to go balls to the walls. So I was doing like cartwheels and high kicks and karate chops and like sweating my butt off in this audition and just having fun and just like literally laughing at myself. And I walked out of that room like laughing. Right. Joyously. So when you think about you, I know we were tweeting earlier today um, that you were at an audition to play a doctor. Yes. And you were the only one not in your scrubs. scrubs. I don't know why I didn't. I don't know. I mean, whatever. Um, How are you in general around auditioning and that feeling that you had of feeling so liberated mm-hmm. is that normal for you was that unique to that audition is yeah. it different for film and television versus yeah. theater like how do you navigate the different lilies and yeah. what happens to your body oh my god totally i think i'm a completely different lily in every single audition okay i wish that i could say i had some like formula that i walked into an audition with but i really don't there's some where i'm just like i'm either going to book this or i'm not i'm going to wear my scrubs i'm going <laughs> to <laughs> Where my scrubs and they'll see me as a doctor, they won't. Um, and then you know, for like t- some for t- some TV auditions, you go in and you have like four words to say, you know, mm-hmm. and it really just has more to do with like, do you look right for this? That's right. And so you please you don't look don't... like his ex-wife, okay. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. And you have zero power over that. You walk in and you look as like beautiful as you can look that day, or whatever, or as doctory as you can look that day. And if you don't look doctory enough to them, then you're not going to get cast. Right. But then there are things like SpongeBob where it's like. I'm going to I'm going to be a squirrel and I'm going to embody this squirrel life and I'm going to create as many funny squirrely moments as I possibly can and so like the preparation for that is weeks really I remember being at home 
with my boyfriend after I got a call back and they were like, now we want you to do a one minute long karate dance and you need to choreograph it. I choreographed a minute long karate dance and I was like, you should have seen me just at home like creating all of these ridiculous right. things. And my boyfriend being like, yeah, I don't know. I think that second eight was like, you could be a little bigger on the on the high kick and it's just so silly and ridiculous. So yeah, it, it really, it ranges from audition to audition and depending on who I know in the room. So there are some people who like really give me the butterflies so I'll genuinely just be like I'm going to use my nerves right now to get me through this. What does that mean when people say use my nerves? I'm going to yeah. use it in the room. Like yeah. can you be articulate about that? Yeah. It's hard to put words yeah, to yeah. stuff like this but what do you mean? So I think that my nerves manifest themselves physically in a lot of ways. So like my heart will be beating really fast or I, I'll shake a little bit. I'm a bit of a shaker or like I'll start sweating or whatever. That's your tell. That's Yeah, that's yeah. my tell. I can't hide those things, right? But if I can somehow physically use those traits, use those qualities by like breathing into them and accepting them in my body. And do you say words to yourself like – you know what, Lily, you're really nervous. You're shaking. You're sweating. You're yeah. like. Yes, totally. Like, I'm just like, you're going to go in there and like five minutes from now, you're not going to be in there anymore. So just like think about that and you'll be fine. You're mm-hmm. not about to do brain surgery on somebody. Nobody's life is on the line here. Walk in and audition. And I think the most important thing to remember when you audition is like the person behind the table wants you to succeed. They want you to be good because they want to cast the person that is the best. Yeah. They don't want to see person after person that's horrible and isn't good. So you're going in there and you're like, you're giving them the gift of what you can provide. And it's really important to remember that and to remember that like you're there for a reason and you're talented and you're good at what you do. And if you don't book this, it's not necessarily that it's because you're not good enough. It's because of a whole slew of circumstances. So... I try to look at auditions as just like an opportunity to perform in the best possible way that I can for these people that want somebody to be good in front of them. Are you an off-book person? Are you a memorizer? Um, I think it depends on the material. I like holding papers because I feel like it's nice to have something physically. It's just good to be able to like have something to focus on. And so you're not like jittering with your hands and don't know what to do with your hands. And so I like to be so familiar that I don't necessarily have to glance. But if, God forbid, I forget something, I have it in front of me. Because I have had the moments where I have been like, I'm good. I'm off book. And then I'm like in the middle of a song. I'm like, nope. "Uh, Sorry, got to start over. I have no idea what the words are. Yeah. And that is so horrifying and way worse. And so that's like, happened. And that's one Even to Lily Cooper. Oh, my God. My worst audition ever was me. I, I forgot the lyrics to a song three times in a row. Not once, not, not, once, twice, not twice, but thrice. Thrice. And then the people behind the table were like, all righty, let's uh, do the sides, I guess. And it's like I just like wasted everyone's time, you know? Well, yeah. But you didn't do it on purpose, uh-uh. and you were prepared. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. My nerves got the best of me, and it does happen. Mm-hmm. That's very um, satisfying to know that even, <laughs> oh, even to you. For sure. How did you meet George Salazar? Well, George and I have known each other for years because he did the tour of Spring Awakening, and so I sort of like knew of him, and right. we had done concerts together and had mutual friends. And you were we, on the circuit We were together. in the circuit, yeah. We were in the theater circuit. Yeah. And then we luckily got to do Tick, Tick, Boom together. Of course, of course. Which was just such an incredible experience. Nick Blameyer and him and I did the last few months of that run with yeah. the Keen Company off-Broadway. And it was just such a special, magical process and experience. The show was so good. George and I got to play like 15 different characters. And again, it was one of those rooms that just felt so safe to explore and have fun and play off of each other and just be goofy weirdos. And when you're surrounded by like the weirdos that bring the weirdo out in you. The best. It's just the best. It's truly the best. That's another example of how um, SpongeBob was so perfect because it was a group of total freaks. And we were like bit offing each other. We were like, no, I can do a sillier bit than you can. You know, all the time. Was there a lot of laughing on stage? Constant. And (laughs) 
would, would stage management give you guys notes like, guys, I mean, we need to hear to some of the dialogue, and exactly. some of the words, just half of it. If you could do yeah. half the show so we can like make get it. get the words out so the audience can understand what's going on. Was that a surprise of what an incredible reception that it got, not just from audiences, but critically? Was that a surprise or did you know this was really special? It felt like a, it felt like a hour opinion of the show had been validated, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't as much of a surprise as a thank God everybody feels the same way that we do. Because, you know, for months we'd be in rehearsals and be like, this is groundbreaking and this is amazing. Are we crazy? And do are we just thinking this because we are in it? Or is it true? And does everybody agree with us? And to know that everybody agreed with us was thrilling. so thrilling. Yeah. It really was. So was that a sad one to let go of? Or were you devastated? Yeah, it really was. I mean, I was so blessed to be able to move from SpongeBob to another show. So I had left Spongebob on Broadway to go do Tootsie out of town. So you already knew that this was, you had already gotten that job. Right. I had already gotten that job. And initially I was doing, going to do the out of town tryout, come back to Spongebob and finish my contract because I really couldn't fathom finishing my contract without finishing with the other Mm -hmm. cast members. And so I made this request to see if I could leave the show for just a few months and then come back. And I got approved. And then a few days later, we were told that we were closing. And at that moment, I I will have had two weeks left of SpongeBob. And so in my mind, when I was leaving to do Tootsie, I was coming back. I was going to close out my contract with everybody else. And then I found out that I would just be in it for two more weeks, which was really devastating. It was really devastating because it – I mean, it's a group of – genuine family members so I'm going to know them and be friends with them for the rest of my life of course I mean these are people that you know I've sung at their weddings and we see each other like an annoying amount like we take pictures with each other on Instagram people are like really like you see each other that often we get it you love each other we get it you're friends (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you know I feel so blessed that I have them but yeah it was pretty devastating that's abrupt it was abrupt, and and the circumstances around the show closing was really crappy. Meaning, we got kicked out of the Palace Theater pretty much. So the Palace is is getting renovated, and right, it wasn't even for another show that no, they had promised exactly. And it wasn't because we weren't doing well. You know, we got eight Tony nominations, and ticket sales boomed, and we were getting great responses. Yeah, we and the word of mouth was insane. Word of mouth was insane. Everybody loved it. I don't know anybody who walked out of that show who wasn't like genuinely happy. No. It, whether you walked in with unbelievable excitement and anticipation or you walked in a cynic. Whichever yeah. way you were like, I'm not sure how this is going to let me see. the best response that we yeah. would get. I, I cannot even count how many people came up to me and were like, I was expecting to hate that show, but I yeah. loved it. Right. Or I came for my kid and now I'm yeah. coming back again. Exactly. By myself. Yeah. Yeah. The, then those are the best responses. It's like, yeah, you can have an expectation of something, but walking out of a show and having the absolute opposite experience, like, that's awesome. Was there a moment where they thought, okay, maybe we can find another theater did they talk to you guys about different game plans but nothing panned out yeah unfortunately yeah they they were looking for other theaters they our our producer were like was like we were thinking of doing it in a tent off broadway or like on a ship somewhere like figure guys we'll be there any way that we could possibly continue this and they just they just couldn't do it unfortunately and so you know, they're focusing on the tour right now, which I think is going out in the fall of 2019. Which is incredible. The world will get to see it. Will get to see it. Not I'm just really YouTube about. clips. It's yeah. amazing. And the cast recording and all of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's what's so, you know, I have guests on the show from every part of the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. But there really is something about that musical theater actors mm-hmm. understand, which is what it is to have your cast recording live even after your show is totally. no longer. And and just knowing that it's still giving pleasure to so many people or it will Absolutely. continue to be discovered, it's really an extraordinary thing. It really is. Yeah. I had a very special experience. A few weeks ago, I was at an event with Lin-Manuel and he was like, I listen to your voice every morning with my kid. My kid loves listening to your soundtrack. And I'm like, what? That's crazy. Like, that's so cool. That's just like the coolest thing ever. Also, that's Lin-Manuel Miranda (laughs) saying it. So not that it wouldn't be cool if I said it, but you're like, that kid has a lot of access to a lot of things to listen to. a lot of things to listen to. And the fact that my voice happens to be in that slew of things is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you must feel to a certain degree at this point, because even though you're so young, you have been doing this for so long Mm -hmm. that you are part of a community 
And most of the rooms that you walk into probably feel a bit like a clubhouse at 100%, this point. 100%, yeah. And everybody knows everybody. It's like annoyingly small, our world. We do, we do really run in small circles for sure. So I was saying to you before we started recording that Tootsie has really been like, it's one of those, like if you went to a deserted island, what movie would you bring? What song would you bring? Mm-hmm. And, and I joke that we played Tootsie for our kids before they could even speak just to see if they laughed. And if they did, we knew the hospital had given us the right children, <laughs> and they do. And it really is one of the most perfect films, Truly, I think, both is someone... That screenplay is taught in screenwriting classes as a perfect well, written screenplay. Yes. And, and there's so much about what the process of creating that screenplay was, and, mm-hmm. and there's so much lore yeah. around it. Yeah. But there really is something about the celebration. I mean, the Bill Murray scenes, <laughs> actually, in that film are, are really like, that is... That is a love letter to the theater mm-hmm. as much as it is about relationships and identity and yeah. gender and all of the politics of that movie. Mm-hmm. It really is like the biggest, fattest love letter to the life of an artist. Totally. And that's, and what, our, that's what it is. That's what our show is. So, But also, it's no small thing that someone decided that the role of Julie, as played by Jessica Lange, as I mentioned earlier, who yeah. I believe won the Oscar for that, for that part, yeah. is now being played by Lily Cooper. Yeah. And that someone just decided we don't have to follow the same template that no. the movie did. Tell us about how you got this part yeah. while you were still in SpongeBob. Yeah, totally. Um, what was that process like? I remember getting the audition and thinking like, oh my God, this is so epically big. It's it's like beyond me. It's like bigger than I can fathom really. Auditioning for a part that Jessica Lang played in the film originally that she won an Oscar for you know, I look in the mirror and I don't see Jessica Lang. You don't? And so, no, I don't, unfortunately. Sadly, I wish I did. Um, <laughs> She's saying, I look in the mirror and I wish I looked like Lily Cooper. <laughs> well, look at that. Well, right now I'm sure she does. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a moment of like, can I do this? Am I talented enough to do this? Do I look like the person that they want to cast for this? Am I going to be confident enough to walk into that room to actually book the job? Because mm-hmm. you have to be able to believe that you deserve that job to book it. And I'm the prettiest person in America. <laughs> like there is right. something to that part Absolutely. about she yes. was American. Like a sweetheart, mm-hmm, totally is. Yeah, so I so I I got I got the audition and I was like hell yeah one hundred percent. This feels like so scary and so big, but I'm so excited I'm about it that I I just like can't wait. So I uh, and first of all, David Yazbek's music. Oh, so much. God, it gives me the chills. Yeah, I listened to the song that I that I auditioned with. And like burst into tears because again, it's a love letter to acting. It's a love letter to our craft and what we do. And this song that that Julie Nichols sings in the show is about that, and felt so close to home that I was just like, "Whoa, this isn't this isn't a stretch for me." Like it feels like I'm this auditioning my for myself. Wow! Like this is truly deeply powerfully my story and I told that to my mom and like my mom started crying she was like this is you and I read the breakdown and it was just so similar to who I was and even specific little specific things about the character like she had been in a few Broadway shows and this new show that she was about to be in was like this breakthrough role for her and it was really exciting for her and all these little things that I felt so deeply connected to and so, so is she not a soap opera star in the musical? Right, yeah. Okay. So there's going to be, it's a musical within a musical. Okay, great. Which is really fun. Unbelievable. That's yeah. the best. I know. It's really great. Um, and so I, so I went in there being like, I don't have to, I'm not going to work so hard to create a role because I want, I want to just feel like I am this person. Mm. And that's what it felt like walking into that room. And, and I sang this song and it just felt so close to home and so real to it me was yours. that it was just it, 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 I don't want to say easy because that isn't quite the right word but it, it flowed out of me in a way that was not the song you forgot the lyrics to exactly <laughs> that was not the one yeah and walking into that audition room and into that waiting room of whatever audition that's like a big eye-opening experience and walking into that waiting room I saw every kind of girl there was they auditioned every single female in New York City. And I loved that. I loved that they weren't like, we're just going to cast a person of color because we want to. They, they saw everybody. saw everybody. And, and that, was, that was a relief to me, too. Because I've also been in a room where 
every single person in the waiting room looks exactly like me. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, well, they have an idea of exactly what they want to lo- that person to look like. Right. And they didn't have an idea of what that one person wanted to look like. No, they wanted you to tell them who exactly. Julie was. Yeah, yeah. Again, they wanted to sort of like fill in the blank for them. When did the you right sing first when you went in for that audition or did you read first? Um, I sang first. So I you got first. that out of the way. Yeah. And you knew right away that the song had gone well. Yeah, 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 totally. That's the best feeling. It is. It's the best feeling. And then the sides were hilarious. Robert Horn is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And the sides were just so funny. And I had a director's session with, with Scott Ellis, which was so amazing. Like, he worked with me for half an hour just, like, talking through these scenes and giving me notes. And it just felt really... So how did he, just because I love talking about, I mean, Tina Landau, Michael Mayer, Scott, yeah. I mean, these are such different personalities yeah, and different. we're all so successful mm-hmm. and all work in different ways. So when Scott talks about, in a work session, yeah. the scenes, where did he begin with you? How did he talk about it with you? Yeah. Well, I think what was cool about it was he was, at first he was just like, so go for it, do your thing, and then let's talk about it. So I like did my scene once and then... I would get up and we would sort of chat and he would like give me a note and I would do it again. Mm. And like the second time I did it, it was like stopped after the first word. And at first I was like, oh God, he hates me. Yeah. But it was so hands-on and... He's sculpting this yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. And it was really exciting. And he is such an actor's director because he was an actor. The crazy story about Scott Ellis, he did Shakespeare with my dad 30 years ago. Wow. Yeah. So they... Talk about like, history. He's known my family yes. for years. And Scott and I had never worked together. But I know, but how mind-blowing must it, I know. it been for him? That I like know. baby Lily Like Cooper. before I was even born, <laughs> yes. he worked with my dad as an actor. That's incredible. Yeah. So and and he that's what that's what his basis is. That's you know, he he started out as an actor and so he knows he knows what it's like to be on the other side of the yep. table. But some people can be not nice about True. it. True. So totally and be like and I hate actors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're acting teacher. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's nice that he has the language yeah. and the enthusiasm mm-hmm. for being on the other side of the yeah. stage like now. Like one thing he does that I really appreciate is he gets up and he like gives you a hug and he shakes your hand every yeah. time you walk into that he audition. He welcomes you He properly. welcomes you. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you feel comfortable. As opposed to like, oh, I want to impress this person. I was just remembering Michael Mayer. He would, I don't know if he did this with you, but he would like mouth along. He oh, knows yeah. the script so well. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my totally. God, I'm not even off book yet. And he's, <laughs> what? He How is he? <laughs> he's a very good Lucy. Um, <laughs> he would be. He would be. He's He <laughs> understands that person so deeply. Um, so did you know very quickly after you read for Julie and sang for Julie that this part was yours? It definitely was one of those where I was like, I feel pretty confident about this. Could not and have gone I, any better. Right. I, I I laid myself out in that room and I could not have given you any more than I did. And so if I don't get this job, then I clearly wasn't right for it. But I felt like very good about it. You and was, your mom were right. Yeah. My mom was like, you got this. Did you get to read... Did the actors get to read together during the process of auditioning? Yeah. So for my final callback, Santino uh, Fontana was there, who's okay. playing the Dustin Hoffman role. And yeah, he was reading with me and he's he's great. I've known him for years and we've done a few things together. And he's just so funny. And, and I, I could not ask for a better scene partner. He's so good at what he does. And he went to Chicago and you guys worked on the thing. Yeah. And now you're coming in. Yeah. When this airs, you probably will have your Tony you know, but um, <laughs> I I said that with everything crossed and, and yeah. all superstitions aside, <laughs> what a wonderful thing it must be to have a moment where you know work is coming oh, and just to rest gift. for a second. How do you rest? How do you get ready for what you know is coming? I'm one of those crazy people that rests by being the busiest person on the face of awesome. the planet. Like I'm the busiest unemployed person ever. Yeah. Like I do like two readings at a time and then a concert and then auditions and then like headshots and then like a dance class. Like I just can't stop. I remember I had one day where I just didn't have anything planned and I was so 
bored and mm. frustrated and just sort of like holed up in my apartment. And I was like, I have to go outside and do something. So I just really like being busy. So yes, I do have a few months off before the show starts rehearsals, which is so nice. I do feel like I have time to breathe, but I am filling my days like to the brim with everything possible just because I like being busy. I like doing everything. So I have, you know, table reads and concerts and stuff like that. Yeah. Podcasts. Podcasts. Whatever. Yeah. Do you feel successful? I do. I do. I feel very successful and I feel really grateful for that. I've been able to support myself as an actor since I was a teenager, really. And that's really rare. I know that that's really rare mm-hmm. and that's such a blessing. And I'm I'm really proud of myself. I genuinely am very, very proud of myself. One of my biggest accomplishments was that I was able to pay off my student loans a year after I graduated from college. Unbelievable. And it's because of my performance and, and my my jobs that I've I've been able to book. So I, I do feel successful. Yeah. Well, if you also judge success by being beloved and adored by everyone who works with you, anyone I mentioned that you were coming in today, they were mm-hmm. like, oh, I love her. Yeah. Give her my love. Oh, thank you. And it was, it's just so organic, a response. Mm-hmm. And I know I certainly felt that way the minute I met you yeah. and look forward to a lot more Did time I ahead. Mm-hmm. But I just want to say thank you for being here and sharing your story and for being pleasure. remarkable. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for listening. Do you know there are over 120 episodes of Little Known Facts with Alana Levine at this point? So if you love this one, but you're a new listener, go back to the beginning and catch up. I promise you every episode will shed a light on an artist that inspires you in a whole new way. It is such a pleasure to make this podcast for you, and I hope if you love listening as much as I love making it, that you'll head over to my website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. There's a donation page, and truly, any donation, large or small, makes such a huge impact on my being able to make over 100 more episodes for you guys, so I really, really appreciate it. I record this podcast at the Hangar Studios in New York City. If you ever are interested in making your own podcast or any kind of recording, go to thehangerstudios.com and get more information on how they make the magic happen. Thanks for listening.